before the finale of the star, A Journey to Christmas. This is an Advent series. Those of you who don't know what Advent is, Advent means coming. And uh, Pentecostal people of our stripe usually talk about the second coming of Jesus. And we talk about the return of Jesus, and that's great that we do that. Uh, but there was a first coming of Jesus as well, and we call these things Advents, the first Advent, the second Advent. And Advent in, in some churches is, is taken very, very seriously and celebrated in the weeks before Christmas because it's a way to slow down the whole Christmas season and to think about what it means. Um, it's a really nice tradition, and as I've told you before, Christmas is not something that the Bible tells us to celebrate annually. We don't see it celebrated historically until the middle of the fourth century. Uh, there's no command in Scripture that says, thou shalt celebrate Christmas. Uh, and so, you know, some people get frustrated when they see Christmas trees and Santas and elves, and they say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, if Jesus is the reason for the season, maybe you should slow the season down a little bit. And at Advent, we, we kind of take our time with it and we prepare ourselves uh, kind of emotionally and spiritually for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. A lot of people fast at Advent. They change things in their lives. It's a kind of a self-introspective uh, time. So whatever your tradition is around that, we're trying to just slow the Christmas season down a little bit and look at it uh, more from the scripture uh, sometimes than from uh, tradition. And we've joked around a little bit uh, with different things in the culture to see that Christmas in the New Testament, if you look at the Gospels, you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, is very, very different than the traditional Christmas scene that we have in our heads. And uh, when we're going to talk about peace today. And when it comes to peace, and you look at peace as it's presented through Christmas and through the Scripture, you see something very, very strange, very unusual when you look at peace. So I want you to just have a little bit of fun with me um, and think of the Christmas story. And, you know, we've got this traditional image of the birth of Jesus. It's a very peaceful, very serene scene, or so we think. So I'd like you to watch this clip, and you'll see where I'm going. Go ahead with that, David. <laughs> so maybe you get the drift. So we, we, have this, we have this idea of Christmas. It's such a peaceful, peaceful scene. And yet even in the world of Mr. Bean, you know, there's all these competing forces trying to mess with the peace of Christmas. You know, a dinosaur, these extra sheep, the robot, the everything just keeps messing with the beautiful, peaceful scene of Christmas. And the, the reality, though that's funny, it's actually somewhat accurate. Because when you look at the Christmas story, you, you have a real problem on your hands. You have a, like a paradox on your hands. Because the idea of Christmas is that, okay, or at least we think, when Jesus is born and when Jesus comes, ah, we're supposed to have peace on earth, goodwill to men. Right, so Luke chapter two and fourteen, when the when the angels present themselves to the shepherds, and you've got this massive, great company of angels, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on those uh, uh, on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. The old King James version: on earth, peace and goodwill to men. 
And so the problem with that is where's the peace? Because it seems like when Jesus is born and when he comes into the world, there's plenty of conflict, plenty of it. Uh, the only other time that we see peace mentioned is in Luke chapter 1 and verse 76. And there, this is uh, when John the Baptist is born, and he's the forerunner to, to Jesus. And when he's born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah's uh, muteness goes away. You'll recall he was temporarily uh, restrained from talking because he could not, he didn't believe what the angel Gabriel had told him. That is, his senior wife was going to have a son. And so the angel effectively takes away his power to preach. He's a priest. And then when he's born, John the Baptist, the man's tongue, his father's tongue is loosened, as it were. And he speaks this kind of magnificent prophecy over his son. And part of it is that the role of his son would be, in Luke 1.76, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. But we have a real problem on our hands. It's a paradox because when we look at the whole, all the events around the birth of Jesus, there's plenty of conflict. You've got this couple who are kind of running for their lives from Herod the Great, who wants to uh, execute all of the, the baby boys in this little town, this little hamlet of a village called Bethlehem. That's violent. That's a very, very unpeaceful thing. Uh, where's the peace on earth there with them running for their lives and all these families losing their sons? It's not very peaceful. Uh, and there are plenty of rough edges to the whole Christmas story. So how do we reconcile that? How do we figure this out? What is the peace that's promised there? And how is it fulfilled uh, in our lives? And we can look at the gospel story and even at the whole of the Bible and see that peace, the way that it's defined there, is a little bit different than the way that we define it now. Uh, how many of you know we live in a very unpeaceful world? It's very unpeaceful. It seems like it gets worse and worse, uh, and the faster and faster we can learn about what's going on in the, in the news and the world events, it seems like it's out of control. Uh, where's the, the peace on earth? And when you look at the scripture, however, you see something presented that's quite different. Um, and the scripture would give it to us in at least three ways, probably more, but I'll give you three today. And the first starts with a peace with God, a peace with God. Before you look at everything else, uh, the most significant definition of peace in the Bible has to do with the peace that we can have with God. Uh, we look around at the world and we say the problem in the world is the wars. The problem in, in the world is the corrupt leadership. Uh, the problem in the world is violent crime, uh, drugs, uh, terrorism, uh, a breakdown of the family, poverty, all these things. We point the finger and we say, well, if we could just solve those problems, the world would be a more peaceful place. While the Bible wouldn't disagree with that, the, the Bible would go even further than that. And what the Bible would say is that the problem with the world 
is not so much the politicians and the corrupt leadership and the violent crime and the terrorism and the war and the poverty and the breakdown of the family and all those things. The Bible would say the problem with the world is me. And the problem with the world is you. <laughs> the Bible would say deep inside of the heart of humanity, he is not, she is not at peace with God. And because of a lack of peace with God, because of a broken relationship, a fractured relationship with God, that's why all these things happen. So all these things that we talk about all the time, those are symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is that man does not have peace with God. And that's where it starts when God and man can be reconciled and there is a restored and a redeemed relationship between God and man, then man starts to change. And this is first and foremost what the scripture talks about. So Romans chapter 4, uh, the end of chapter 4, Paul says this, speaking about Jesus. Uh, this is well after the birth of Jesus, of course. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And then chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And that's what you need. And that's what this world needs. That's what we're going to talk about uh, next week for a few minutes with all of the guests that come, is that people need to have peace with God first and foremost. And when you experience that, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. Uh, that song that, we, that we, we sang during the, the worship time, again, borrowing from Horatio Spafford's old, old, it is well with my soul. The man had a peace on the inside when he wrote the words of that hymn. Uh, even though he had lost several members of his family were killed instantly in a, in a boating accident. Uh, they drowned, um, even so he could write about the peace of God in the midst of the storm because he had peace with God. And whatever you experience over Christmas, if you do not have a right relationship with God, where you know that you and God are in a right standing, where you have peace with God, he's no longer your enemy, you're no longer working against him, but you're working for him. If you have that, that's the first place to start. And so many of us, <laughs> we're at war with God all the time. We don't, we don't realize it, but we don't, we don't do what he says. We don't follow the things that he says. We don't operate the way that he wants us to. We don't behave the way that he wants us to. We're at war with him. And you need to be at peace with God first and foremost, and that's part of the promise uh, the Christmas promise, and you really can't separate Christmas, uh, as we've said in the previous weeks, you can't separate Christmas from the cross. Uh, you can't separate the, the birth of Jesus from his death. The two are linked together because he was born, in a sense, to die so that we would have peace with God, peace with God. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention it during the announcement. Thank you to those of you, the volunteers who went to, to the food bank last week, uh, all 16 or 17 of you. Uh, there was a picture on the screen there during the announcements, but thank you for doing that. I received a beautiful email from 
the leadership there, and they were really happy to see a large group of us. Uh, you know, you brighten people's day just for doing silly things like running a game station and making cookies or helping them decorate cookies or whatever. You're brightening people's day there, so thank you for doing that. Uh, hopefully, that's an expression of the fact that you have some peace with God, uh, but that's, that's where it starts. And then the Bible speaks of a peace uh, that God gives, and specifically um, one that Jesus gives. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus puts it this way. He's, he's nearing the end of his life on earth. He's spending some final moments with the disciples. This is in the Last Supper context. And he says to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Ah, so it's, it's something that, that Jesus is specifically and personally giving here. My peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Uh, the world will give you things. The world may give you a peace of sorts, but it's not the same, apparently, as the peace that Jesus gives. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Wow. So he's going to leave these disciples, but he's giving them this promise that they're going to have peace even when the other option is that they could be afraid. And he continues in John chapter 16 and says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. There it is again. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. And again, it's, a, it's like a paradox there. If Jesus has come to bring peace, well, why is there trouble in the world? Well, he says it. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Sorry, I missed the T there. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There is a peace that Jesus gives to people. And it doesn't mean that there's going to be the absence of conflict. I mean, your life right now, you may be in the midst of personal conflict with someone. You may be in a conflicted situation that there's not much that you can do about. It doesn't, it doesn't feel really peaceful if you look at the circumstances around you. You say, well, where's the peace on earth, right? Well, remember, Jesus gives you a peace, friends, and it's not the kind of peace that the world gives you know, the world will snatch that peace as quick as it gave it to you. Uh, but the peace that Jesus gives is a different kind. And the Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. And if you're anxious, you need to put your anxiety on God. And he gives you this, this kind of a peace. It doesn't mean that there isn't a storm around you. You know, there's an old saying, um, in the eye of the hurricane. Any of you ever seen a real hurricane before? A real one? Yeah, well, when you go into the eye of the hurricane, there's no, right in the center of it, uh, there's no storm there. It's quiet, right? You have to be right in the center of that hurricane. Of course, the hurricane is moving, it'll likely pick you up as soon as the, as the center moves. But for that brief instant, even though you're in the midst of the hurricane, there's a brief moment of peace. Well, you can have peace inside the storm when you have the peace uh, that Jesus gives. And finally, there is a peace that is an eternal peace, um, which God also gives, but it's kind of the fulfillment uh, of what we see in the scripture. So um, great, great Christmas text uh, that we all, we all love is from Isaiah chapter 9. 
and verses 1 to 6. I don't know if I put it on the screen for you. Yeah, I did at the end. Go to the, the last slide there, uh, David, and we'll look at that text just for a second before we go to, to the other thing. Uh, for to us, a child is born. This is from Isaiah chapter 9. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Ah, okay. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, or that's Father of Eternity in some versions, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is a famous, famous Christmas passage that we, we love to quote at Christmas time. Did you know that that passage is never quoted in the New Testament? Never. Uh, it's amazing that we use it as a Christmas text uh, because it isn't quoted in the New Testament at all. The reason why we use it um, is because the very few verses before this is quoted in the New Testament. Let me read to you what is. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says, and this is quoted by Matthew. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom uh, for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is the part that Matthew quotes in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And what he's trying to do is to say that Jesus, the light of the world, is coming out of Galilee, is coming out of a place where there's a lot of problems uh, but when you read the, the, the verses that come after, you see this one that's on the screen, for to us a child is born. So this passage is thought to be referring to Jesus, and it is. And it's an amazing passage of Scripture. But look at how peace is brought in. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So the implication here is that peace is a process. So if we're looking for peace on earth now, we're likely not going to see it now, but we will one day see it. And this is why we talk about the second advent or the second coming of Jesus, because he is going to run the world. He, the government is going to be on his shoulders, and of the greatness of that government and peace, there will be no end. I mean, he's not like the, the world leaders that we see around us, you know, and these corrupt politicians, whichever one you want to pick on is fine. But Jesus is, is not like that, is what this is saying. He's going to bring in a peace and a peace that is eternal. There's a great old Christmas hymn, if you'll back up a few slides there, uh, that I want to read to you a few verses of it and read the story behind it. Uh, this is one of my favorite Christmas carols. It is very, very rarely sung uh, in churches. It's called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Any of you know this hymn, this Christmas carol? Okay, Luciana knows it. Yeah, it's very, very rarely sung. And it's written by an American poet. It was set to music uh, later on. And it, the poet's name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And uh, he wrote this poem on Christmas Day in 1864. Let me read to you a little bit of the, the background. Um, it, it, 
the, the article that I'm reading from here talks about his, his own personal life. On July 13th, 1843, he married a woman by the name of Frances, and this is in the United States, and they settled down in what was called the historic Craigie House overlooking the Charles River in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they had five children. This is in the 1800s. And uh, there was a terrible accident that happened on uh, the 12th of April in 1861. Uh, the, the opening shots of the American Civil War were fired, and his, his wife uh, was killed in, a, in an accident in the house. Uh, a terrible fire took place, and uh, she, was, she was killed by that fire. And this, this husband of hers, William Wadsworth Longfellow, was severely burned on his face and his arms and his hands. Uh, his wife would pass away the next morning. And he was so sick and so badly burned, he could not even attend the funeral. And this is why he, it's, we're told he grew a beard, because his face was so badly burned he wanted to cover it. Uh, the Christmas after his wife's death, he wrote uh, these words, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. It's often the case, you know, when people start losing loved ones and they, they run into Christmas time and the holidays, it's like, oh, they feel kind of sad. Uh, a year after the incident, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence, he says. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. And his journal entry in December 1862 reads this, uh, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. And uh, almost a year later, he would receive word that his oldest son, Charles, who was a lieutenant in the Army of the Potomac, uh, had been severely wounded with a bullet passing under his shoulder blades and severely injuring his spine. Uh, Christmas of 1863... Uh, his father's journal was silent. But then on December 25th, Christmas Day, 1864, he wrote the words of this poem. Uh, some say it was the re-election of President uh, Abraham Lincoln or the possible end of the terrible war, the Civil War, and it renewed a hope in his soul, some people say. And these are the words that he wrote, uh, some of them anyway. You can look the rest up online. He says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Uh, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Ah, that sounds good. That's re really, really positive. You go to the next slide. But this is what he says. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Very, very skeptical, sober assessment, right? He's looking around, and then he comes to this, this conclusion. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, he realizes to himself. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong is going to fail. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this man, he caught it. He realized, you know what? God has a plan that he is working out. God is sovereign and God is in control. And in the end, he is going to win the day. He is not dead. He is not sleeping. The wrong is going to fail. 
and the right is going to prevail. Book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or the, the old order will have passed away. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of the Christmas promise. It, it is a process. All this to say, if you're looking for this, this wow, Jesus is here, so the, the whole world is now in complete harmony and complete peace now, you've, you've, got, it, you've got it wrong. You've got to realize that, hey, the peace that God wants first and foremost starts with me, starts on the inside. When, they, when I have that peace with God. And then there's this peace that Jesus can give to me in the midst of the storm. And then ultimately, there's going to be an eternal peace that comes. That's why Mr. Bean is partly right <laughs> in his picture of the Christmas story with the helicopters and the dinosaurs. He, there's a lot of helicopters and dinosaurs in our lives right now, friends. Uh, but one day, the wrong shall fail and the right prevail. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like the band... If